from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. Product A Plus presents, for Christ's sake, which is a chapter-by-chapter exploration of the complete works, at least the complete book works, of Hugh's favorite author, Michael Crichton. Yes, we will be exploring his bibliography, and I will add his ludography. (laughs) It's the video games he made? Yeah. <laughs> why Why those? Because they sound great. <laughs> I didn't even know he contributed to video games. Oh, he did. He was a designer on two of his very own. Mm, what, which ones? One of them was an intended adaptation of his novel Congo mm. as a uh, parser-based graphical adventure from 1984. Mm. But it turned out he didn't actually have the rights to produce a work based on Congo, so he had to turn it into a game called Amazon mm. and changed the talking gorilla into a talking parrot. Uh-huh. And then in the year 2000, he set up his own company or shortly before the year 2000, set up his own company um, to produce a line of video games inspired by his work. And he was uh, credited as the designer on an adaptation of his novel Timeline. Wow. A novel I am a big fan of. Will we play the game or read the book first? We will read the book first. The uh, video game adaptation of said book did so poorly that the company uh, dissolved <laughs> almost immediately afterwards. <laughs> okay, I have a question for you, Yo. Yes. What about the films that he wrote or directed? Um, I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I mean, we have we have we have a lot of time before we get to those. <laughs> yeah, we do have a related sister podcast where we do talk about films. So maybe, maybe we can do it on there. a Crichton film or two will crop up on that show as a crossover. What about the TV shows that he wrote? I don't care about Are we going to watch it? We're not going to watch every episode of ER. <laughs> <laughs> are we just doing his fiction or are we doing the non-fiction books as well? Uh, I think it would be funny if we did the non-fiction, but I think it would be hard to like talk about his like Jasper Johns book. <laughs> 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 so maybe, maybe we can skip that one. But because <laughs> he was friends with Jasper Johns, and it's like a coffee table book about his career yeah, or something. That's so weird. That's the only reason he's he did that. Mm. 
but we should read we should read the other but but the other two books that you wrote. So I, I don't think we can exclude anything. We'll have to do the Jasper Jones book. <laughs> bye bye bye. I, I could I could accept this. But what about his short stories then? Or are those like advanced level? We'll come to those at the end. We'll come so to those later. Did he ever release his short story collection, or is it just uncollected? Did he write many short stories? Um, according to Wikipedia, he wrote a handful, so... Okay. Um, yes, so this is a podcast where we explore the written words of one Michael Crichton. Your favorite author of all time. Well, let's explore each of our history with Michael Crichton. Yeah, let's, we'll, we'll do it, because this is the first episode. We're going to talk a little bit about our respective histories with Michael Crichton. Yes. I think of the two of us, I'm the only one who... At, one point in his life ever qualified as a fan mm. and indeed the only one of us who has read a michael Crichton novel to date i have one i read one as we discussed last time oh what was that uh micro oh so you actually read that yeah i read it when it came out wow but that's the whole experience i've not read any of his big works you've read one i've read at least one and started a number of others more importantly, I have read none of his books, nor have I seen any of the movies that are based on his books. Wow. Yeah, you haven't even seen Jurassic Park, which is insane. We'll have to correct that as part mm. of this. So, in terms of my early literacy mm. and my uh, ability to read novels and, and the like that weren't, you know, prescribed by my primary school or in the YA category, mm. my entry into the world of adult literature probably was via Michael Crichton. Well, we'll talk, we'll talk about adult literature a little bit later, but, yeah, right? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think the first sort of grown-up books that I ever read were by Michael Crichton. Mm. Mine were by Stephen King. There you go. After after we finish this podcast in 40 years, we'll move on to Stephen King. <laughs> he will never finish because he's written so many books. As a child, uh, I used to have to listen to audiobooks in order to go to sleep. Mm. I used to do that with podcasts and audiobooks, too. I did the same thing, actually. One of the audiobooks that I cherished most was an abridged version of The Lost World, the sequel to Jurassic Park. Mm as narrated by one Anthony Heald mm. of the aforementioned uh, Silence of the Lambs, and among other films. I mean, not aforementioned because it's a different podcast. Oh, that's true. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, new <laughs> listeners, who only came to us through their love of Michael Crichton <laughs> and have no knowledge of our uh, sister podcast, Project A+. <laughs> yes. One of which we just recorded. Yeah. Sorry, I apologize. That was unprofessional of me. <laughs> And I, I'm glad you called me up on it. Yeah, of course. So continue your history. You listen to audiobooks. Uh, yeah, so I used to go to sleep listening to Michael Crichton's prose, uh, as interpreted by Anthony Heald. I did that with The Golden Compass. And as well as that, uh, I remember having a very pleasurable reading experience, making my way through uh, his medieval time travel novel, mm. Timeline. Which we'll experience in... Two different ways if this if this podcast continues, possibly even three. Is there a film version? There is, directed by Richard Donner. Oh. Starring Paul Walker. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember my primary school giving me a copy of Congo for some reason, and I don't know what the reason was. <laughs> they were like. Congo. 
Well, I was a Michael Crichton fan, so it was on the money. And I hadn't read Congo. I'd still you haven't read, read Congo. No. <laughs> <laughs> I started so, a lot of Michael Crichton books so, as well as finished. It wasn't a good gift, though. I think I finished um, Eaters of the Dead. I think I finished mm. Timeline. I'm not sure if I finished much else. That's a, that sounds a lot like uh, uh, my relationship with Stephen King. Though I think I finished more Stephen King books. I may have finished Jurassic Park, but obviously I definitely listened to them over and over again because I also listened to the Jurassic Park um, audiobook. They're all pretty abridged. But... Okay, anyway. But I do think the best way to experience Michael Crichton is to hear his prose narrated by Anthony Hill. Mm. That is a hill I'm willing to die on. <laughs> and which we did not experience. The book that we're going to talk about today... His very first published work. Yes. Which is called Odds On. But Hugh, uh, when I opened my copy of Odds On, it did not say Michael Crichton on the cover. It said John Wenga. Lange, I would say. Lange. Lange. <laughs> John M- Minch. <laughs> That's what it said. <laughs> yes, he... <laughs> decided to write this book and a number of other novels under this particular pseudonym. All of which seem to have something to do with these. I'll see like sort of spuddy James Bond knockoffs. Yeah. But there seems to be, we'll get to it, but there's, there does seem to be a bit of uh, Crichton's um, authorial personality in this too. Indeed. Um, but uh, so do we have any other things you want to uh, say as introduction or should we get right into our summation? Well, what was your experience with Crichton? Okay, the uh, one other thing that I have seen that has some connection to him, too, is I've watched... The TV show Westworld. Yeah, I've watched an episode of the TVC one Westworld. <laughs> <laughs> so... That's all I got. That's all she wrote. But it's not all he wrote. Hmm. Because we'll be doing this podcast for the rest of our lives. <laughs> And we're going to make this uh, uh, twice a week thing. It'll be a nice bite-sized episode, I think. Twice a week? We're committing to twice a week? We're releasing three podcasts a week? <laughs> I, think I, I think I could read three chapters of, of, of Michael Crichton. I don't yeah, think I this will... read the read the chapters. <laughs> I don't think this will take any editing at all, so... <laughs> take some editing. <laughs> Maybe a little. I mean, I w- may- maybe that can just be the show. That there's no real editing. There's no editing. Yeah. I'll have to fix up. I mean, there's no such thing as no editing just because there's always a time delay. So you kind of always have to fix oh, up the timing. God. That's that's not so bad. I mean, I, will, I won't be too fussy with this podcast. Yeah. It's going to go on forever. It's got a chance to improve with time. <laughs> yeah, just like our project Day Plus did. Anyway, we're not talking about Project A+, though. we're talking about Odds On by Jean Minge. Jean Minge. Jean Lange. Jean Lange. Jean Large. Yeah. That's, that's if Michael Reichert introduced himself to all the ladies as. Mm-hmm. Just looking at this now, it says that he had five wives. Really? That's a lot. Yeah, he was married five times. Which I think uh, is, I can believe it based on some of the text of this book. So I think what we'll be doing on this podcast is... something of a recap, I think. Yeah, because we'll be discovering these stories as we go, because we're not familiar with this book. Yeah, it'll be a bit of recap, a bit of commentary, a bit of 
our feelings. Hopefully some laughs. <laughs> Is that good? Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get to odds on. Intrigue. Misogyny. Computers. Odds on. Let's make love. Today we're going to talk about the chapter, which I've forgotten the name of. Let me open up my notes real quick. Which is called the first chapter of the book, which is called Saturday, June 14th. Yes. Now, this chapter is broken into three separate little sub parts. And they all serve the same introduction, which is, or same purpose rather, to introduce us to the primary characters uh, of, I mean, I assume, of the novel. So the f- book opens uh, with a character named Miguel who is a Mexican-American smuggler who we meet uh, sort of in medias res. That's how you pronounce that, right? Yep. Good one. Uh, As he is about to smuggle some dynamite uh, over the uh, border of Spain from France. Yes, well, while while we're on this particular section, I think you should read out the opening sentence. (laughs) <laughs> okay, okay. Why me? Because I can't access the book. I just tried again. It says the book is missing, <laughs> even though I downloaded it. Again. I don't. I don't know what what's going on. Okay, what I, I I'll suggest that you download it onto your computer. Okay. Oh, I've got it back. It's alright. Okay. Do you want me to do uh, it now? Do you want me to read it? No, no. I can read it. No, I got it. <laughs> why don't why, why don't we read it? Fine. I'll say a word and then you say. Alright, fine. <laughs> Okay, I'll start. What? Perthus. France. The. Dynamite. Neatly. Bundled. In. Happy. Birthday. Wrapping. Paper. Way. Casually. On. The. Back. Seat. Okay, that's it. (laughs) That's it. Why why did you want me to read it? (laughs) Well, I think that gives a good idea of of what we're working with here. Like his prose style. Economic. How he opens a work, you know. Mm. How he how he brings us into this world with that one <laughs> sentence. Uh, Already uh, we have action. Already we're in the middle of the action. We've got dynamite in the first sentence. As I said, in medias res. Mm. <laughs> yep, we got dynamite. We got a guy smuggling across who uh, is Mexican-American, as I said. And um, I'm sure for reasons that are totally unrelated to the plot, uh, is described as being fluent in German, Swahili, and Spanish, along with English, but not French. Nope. Um, why this is relevant, I'm sure, will never come up again, and we'll never learn why he's fluent in Swahili. Uh, this is this is where the first touch of uh, Crichton's authorial presence that I felt in this book. Okay, which is Hugh. I. Uh, have heard a lot about a specific Michael Crichton novel uh, called Rising Sun. I think it's called Rising Sun. Am I, am I mistaken yeah, about right. this? That's right. Uh, which, which, as far as I can tell, uh, seems to be a work of uh, blatant anti-Japanese racism. <laughs> <laughs> and we get a little bit of, bit of that here. <laughs> just, a, just a taste. <laughs> a spoonful, if you will. Um, where uh, Miguel complains about the fact that, for some reason, Japanese watches have undercut his market in Europe for, like, American and German watches. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Just, just, just a little bit of weird stuff. 
Yeah, so so we've got Miguel. He's he's transporting this dynamite. Yep, across the border. He's approaching a checkpoint. Yep, he has his disguised himself as a tourist, and then he goes over the checkpoint, and then that's it. <laughs> that's it. Things are going well. Yep, that's the end of that particular subsection. In um, Miguel's narration, he mentions a character named Brian, who set the job up. Now. After we leave Miguel, after he's transported the dynamite across the border, we cut to... Where did we cut to? We didn't cut to anyway. This isn't a film. This is a novel. What? We shift scenes. Hmm. Well, nor is this a play. We shift... We dissolve. <laughs> <laughs> we fly. <laughs> we change perspectives. Hmm. No, it's not a, it's not a painting. We <laughs> <laughs> we open a new chapter, <laughs> but well, not literally. <laughs> a subsection of the chapter. Yeah, that takes place at a different time in a different place. Yes, we don't know if it's a different time, but it's a different mm. place. At least. Different place, different yeah. characters. So we shift to Brian, mm. and who else? <laughs> and his lady friend. His name is. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> Does she have a name? Yes. Okay. Her name is wait. Jane. Her name is Jane. No last name. Okay. So Brian and Jane are in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. It's morning. Mm-hmm. Brian's looking out the window. Mm-hmm. He's 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 tried to build up the courage to tell Jane something. Mm. But he hasn't managed to. But Jane can sense that, you know, she knows what's, what's going on. He's going to leave again, like he always does. Yep. But it's okay, Hugh, because she is addicted <laughs> to that bad... <laughs> Wait, let me say it, let me say it. She's addicted to that bad boy cock. <laughs> uh, I'm going to find that, <laughs> this section, because it's great. Uh, uh, I think I think that uh, I I did highlight a specific um, a passage of this, which I'll read out loud because I thought it was relevant. Um, but uh, it was interesting, and this is another uh, Crichton touch. I think is sexism. But... Indeed. <laughs> um, but uh, it's weird because right at the at the present moment, I'm also reading another book called Against the Day, which is a Thomas Pynchon book. And that book features sort of a grotesque parody of like a uh, bad boy, you know, innocent girl relationship. Um, that's really disturbing, intentionally so. Hmm. Uh, and it was hard to read this, which plays it totally straight, <laughs> without thinking of that uh, sort of grotesque parody of it. So that was a little weird. <laughs> let's see. Let's let's see how how Sarah is it Sarah Jane sorry. <laughs> Jane. Or if you've gotten the name. Um, let's see how Jane <laughs> describes via subjective third-person narration. Yeah, go for it, go for it. How she considers Brian as a man. For crying out loud. So Brian Stack, which is his full name, was a slightly disreputable man of action, and he always had been. He lived for tension, <laughs> and his women lived for the aura of excitement which hung about him. Wow, you did you? Uh, uh, that was the exact line that I underlined to read the podcast. 
But I like it, it. It goes on, like it elaborates mm. her feelings towards please, uh, please. Brian. Mm. Whenever he was gone, she was restless as an alley cat, roaming the streets and bars like a common whore. A ca- <laughs> Occasionally, <laughs> not just any whore, a common whore. Just let me know. Occasionally taking stray men who looked as if they might be able to satisfy her. They never could. And they only increased her longing for Brian. He was the genuine thing, a man who could hold her, excite her, drive her into such a frenzy that she would, she no longer knew who or where she was, and then ease her gently back into the world. He did it with such strength, such confidence. Please keep going. When do you leave, she asked. He hesitated. Tomorrow morning. She nodded calmly, expecting that. He'd already arranged it. Brian always left in a hurry. <laughs> always came back to her with unexpected abruptness. That was his way. The tingling had increased <laughs> perceptibly. She now felt her thighs growing warm. The area between her legs heated. She scratched her shoulder, wondering if it was a passing urge which would leave. And she waited. It did not leave her with built in intensity. She raised one leg and kicked off the sheet. Enjoying the way he looked down her exposed body. Brian, she said, I want you (laughs) now. (laughs) He Um, smiled in the darkness. I thought you'd had enough. (laughs) Have you? Without answering, he lay down beside her and kissed her, biting her soft lower lip. His hands, strong and assured, (laughs) ran down her neck (laughs) across her breasts. And slowly down her flat stomach. Mm. He kissed her ear and she felt a sudden thrill which made her grind her hips into the sheet and spread her legs. Then he began to kiss her breasts, stroking them gently with his tongue until the nipples were tense and firm. She moaned softly. Her body was taking on a life of its own and she was losing the power to control it. (laughs) She felt the muscles in her abdomen tighten as his hands slipped between her legs. She moaned as he came into her, felt her hips churning, driving, wanting him. She wondered briefly if he would come back to her, but then all thoughts were blotted out in a rising, overwhelming surge of passion. Mm. End of section. <laughs> uh, so I think, I think this highlights another thing about Michael Crichton, uh, which is he's a writer who does not use subtext. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I like about that particular weird sex scene (laughs) is the way like it's aggressively male and heterosexual right on one level (laughs) but the way that it's like codes itself as being from her point of view yeah like the whole thing is about how great he is and how hot and irresistible he is and it's barely about her (laughs) it's also a homoerotic thing yeah but also also not because i think Men often fantasize about being desirable to women. Yes, right? that's true. That's true. So, but it still come, It still goes to such lengths to <laughs> extol his virtues. Yeah. So that's that's the dominant effect of that chapter. Is not. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> picturing Sarah at all. I'm no. Or Jane, whatever her name is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know her name. Uh, I'm or, picturing fucking Brian, uh, man. Well, I, well, Brian I know. I know. I know, I know one thing. You is that she acts like a common whore. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> the funny thing was, I was reading this on my um, break at work in front of my co-workers, so trying not to laugh and hoping no one would ask what I was looking at. That reminds me of reading um, uh, the girl with the jacket tattoo in the middle of my Latin class. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, just to go over the plot stuff, so they they fucking then that's the, end of the chapter, and then he like goes wherever he's going. That's it. Yeah, so Brian, like, the bit we skipped over is while he's looking out the window, he's thinking about the plan that he set in motion mm. with Miguel. Hmm. Yep. And then, um, and then we cut. We jump. We flash. Whatever word we want to use. To our third character. In Massachusetts. Mass- mm. Massachusetts. <laughs> Fucking hell. I need more wine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. So the character's name is... Steven Jenks. Jenksy boy. Mm. <laughs> and what is Mr. Jenks getting up to in Cambridge, Massachusetts? I assume Harvard-esque. Well, Hugh, I'm glad that you asked. He is trying to use a computer program. This is the uh, the fourth, I think, uh, Michael Crichton authorial signature right here mm-hmm. uh, is the sort of I don't want to say authoritarian, because he's not an authority on any of these things, to be sure. But the integration of technology and science stuff into his prose. Yes, and more specifically, the integration of new and emerging technologies at the mm. time uh, the books are being written mm. in the service of thrillers yeah. that Better. involve the unique deployment of these technologies, sometimes yeah. fantastical, but... In services of schemes that will go awry. Mm. Well, we don't. We don't know Inevitably. that. Sure. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not uh, predict anything about that right now. So, what is the computer program that he is using in this particular instance, Hugh? Uh, so it's like a simulation that calculates um, the efficiency. Yeah, the efficiency. It it, 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 it sorts. The specific components of a larger scheme, mm-hmm. like a job composed of mini jobs, into yes. uh, like smaller pieces. It, it works out the the order in which to com- compute or to do all these the smaller jobs in a way that is the most efficient way to reach the the goal at the end. Yes, that's the that's that's what's happening. <laughs> it's like chirpa or something like that. So he does that. There's some description of punch cards and mm-hmm. of the computer. And then he goes to the airport. Where is he going, Hugh? Is he going somewhere ordinary like Europe? Asia? <laughs> Australia? Well, he tells the taxi driver he's going to Timbuktu. Mm. But we know that's not true. Do we? Yeah, he's not going to Timbuktu. Where is he going to? He's probably going to Spain or something, or wherever the other characters are. I mean, I didn't get that impression, to be honest. He was just... He, was, he wasn't going to tell the cabbie the truth. <laughs> Why not? It says that he was clearly joking with the cab driver, and it ends with the cab driver going, Yeah, I know, you're just playing with me. Or something. No, yeah, he's joking about a white, a white hunter. That's where he's... But he's joking about Timbuktu as well. The whole thing's a joke. I refuse that. I mean, not we'll, a joke, we'll but like he's not telling the cabbie the truth. Well, we'll see. We'll see. He's we'll not on the same with the cabbie. We'll see who's right. He's been very careful about ensuring 
he uh, doesn't let anyone know about this secret computer program and all that sort of stuff, right? He's not going to just blab to a you, cab driver. We will see. We will see. I bet that no no part of this novel takes place in Timbuktu. That is my prediction. Mm. Or anywhere in Africa? Because this might be before your time, but when people say Timbuktu, they mean an arbitrary faraway place. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, that is before my time. I uh, did not have not registered that as an expression. Oh, really? Is that actually true? Like, that, that would yeah. be a thing people would say all the time growing up, but it's fallen out of favour now. But it would be like, where are you going to send it? Timbuktu? Like, that type of nope. Nope. rhetoric. Nope. Does not, does not register. Okay. There you go. There I go. Okay. And that's the end of the chapter. So I'm going to the airport, headed to parts unknown. Not Timbuktu. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. It's the advantage of my age. Mm. That you forget the name of you forget the name of female characters. <laughs> I'm sure Crichton does too. <laughs> I mean, he does only give her one name, so. Yeah. <laughs> Jane, do you think? Well, do you think she'll make an appearance again? I hope so. <laughs> you just want another sex scene. <laughs> Did he ever write an erotic novel? I guess Disclosure is kind of erotic. Disclosure, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to get to that one. Didn't four years i'm really excited to get to state of fear in 10 years <laughs> wait, wait, what is state of fear? do you know the synopsis of that that's the that's the anti-climate change one mm. it's it's like eco-terrorists all right well that's it um i guess tune in next week to see what happens next in yep. uh, odds on <laughs> we've got three principal characters we have smuggling of dynamite as the principal action hmm we have this computer program in the mix to help with mm. matters. Or some sex. <laughs> we got the basis for a great thriller. Mm. It's only chapter one. Yep. Three right. characters, dynamite, sex. <laughs> what more can you want? Computers? Prose-wise, we randomly talk about the prose, but prose-wise... Mm. Would you say this is a typical uh, Crichton? Uh, yeah, I'm struck by how little development <laughs> Michael Crichton has exhibited from his very first published work to anything else that I've read of his. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes sense to me. Which isn't necessarily like a complete criticism. And it, it's definitely readable. Like this is exactly how he always writes. Except so there's, there's not so many, like, softcore sex scenes. <laughs> well, at least out of the books that you've read. Yeah, that's true. But for the most part, I don't think that was a, a feature of his novel. I I don't know. According to his Wikipedia page, I think almost half of his books were <laughs> of this style, so... <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll find we'll out. Discuss. Yeah, we'll find out, indeed. All right. Well, that's it. Goodbye. Uh, thank Bye. you for tuning in to For Christ's Sake. <laughs>